You're listening to the GGC Life Podcast, weekly messages from our Sunday services. We hope this message encourages you. Be blessed. So, if you've got your Bibles, please turn to the book of Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 1. Ezekiel had some pretty powerful encounters with God, experiences with God. We, we get the... Uh, the privilege of reading and getting a glimpse and understanding some of it. But I don't know about you, but for me, I feel oh, it's not enough just to read about it. I want to encounter. I want to experience. I want to also experience the glory of God and the presence of God. And the fact that Jesus died on the cross gives us the absolute openness. And there's nothing in the way between you and God because Jesus paid the penalty and consumed the judgment of God against us. There is nothing in the way. The heavens are already open. You don't have to do anything to, to make them more open. They're already open. You're just going to be hungry. Just me and you have to be hungry. You have to be thirsty for God and encountering God. And you come into it by faith. It's a beautiful thing. Ezekiel had some pretty powerful encounters. There was one time with, in the spirit realm that he said that the spirit picked him up by his hair and took him to the temple and showed him things behind the scenes. I mean, they couldn't see he was watching, but he was watching because God wanted him to see some things. And this encounter in Ezekiel, he, he, he sees a a what they call a living creature and when you read it it's really hard to understand i've been reading it for 30 years i still don't understand it i don't think we are ever going to understand this side of heaven until you get to heaven you actually see with your own eyes you won't understand the creatures that he's these four living creatures had four heads one was like the face of a lion the other one was like a face of an eagle the other one was the face of a man four heads on one living creature and the other one was the face of an ox and you might think, well, what on earth was an ox on, doing on this living creature? And in, in Ezekiel 10, verse 12, it says this about this living creature that Ezekiel sees. And their whole body, their whole body with their back, their hands, their wings, they had six wings, and, and the wheels that the, that the four had were full of eyes. All around, and that that is phenomenal. Could you imagine this creature? And this 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 four living creatures with four heads. They they're really large, because it talks about a wheel within a wheel. And I don't understand the wheel within a wheel, but the wheel and the rims had eyes. It's like it says the whole wheel had eyes, and it was enormous in in in, in height. It was really high in to behold. It was magnificent. I don't think these creatures are small. I think they're, they're magnificently large because it says when they flapped their wings, it sounded like um, the thunder of water, uh, like the, the, what do you call it, the, the waterfalls, and even like an army troop, you know, you hear armies moving. Chum, 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 chum. And so the wings were powerful and large, and they all have eyes in it. So imagine how large these wings are. Who knows how many hundreds and hundreds of feet or meters, or, but they had full of eyes. Why? Because they, 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 they flew around God's throne. And in the book of Revelations, it gives us a glimpse of these four creatures. Now, in the book of Revelation, for some reason, um, it says the creature, one had a, the face of a lion, the other had a face of an ox, one had a face of a man, one had a face of an eagle. They weren't together. In the Old Testament, they're together. I don't understand it. But in the, New Te- in the book of Revelations, whether they're the same creatures or maybe after the cross, God separate, I don't know. But they had four wings in the, in the book of Revelations. They were, they, every time they flew around God, it says night and day, they flew and circled God and they were saying, holy, holy, 
Holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. They just did it for forever. Night and day, nonstop, these creatures were created to worship God. And every time they did that, the 24 elders got up, fell down on their faces, and they worshiped God. It's like seeing the glimpses of God. and It's like hundreds and hundreds of years later, they're still worshiping, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. God is so magnificently beyond your comprehension that, that these creatures were flying around God and constantly saying, Holy, holy, worshiping God. And you're always getting a different understanding or view of God, of how magnificent He is and how beautiful He is. This is Ezekiel's vision. He saw this creature with four heads. I don't know, was the heads like one here, one there, one there, and one there? I don't know how it works because it doesn't give you that detail. But we know this creature had four, four heads. And the body full of eyes, hands. Imagine hands having eyes. Wings full of eyes. Back full of eyes. And they were just... Their eyes were to behold God, to view God. If you pick it up from verse 22 in the book of Ezekiel chapter 1, it says, The likeness of the firmament above the heads of the living creatures was like the color of an awesome crystal. So these creatures were very large. There's four of them. And above their head was like a crystal. That's what he explains. Stretched out over their heads. And under the firmament, their wings spread out straight. One toward one another. Each had two which covered one side and one had two which covered the other side of the body. When they went, I heard the noise of their wings like the noise of a many waters, like the voice of an almighty, a tumult like the noise of an army. And when they stood still, they let down their wings. So these wings are massive. Can you give a, get, a, get a, a picture of the size of these creatures? Okay, They're not small. They're magnificent in, in size. I mean, you know, there's one angel in the book of Revelations that he put his, hand, he's put his foot on the land and he's put his foot on the, on the sea and he lifts his hands to the sun and says, time will be no more. That's not a small angel. It's not like, oh, hang on a second, I just put my hand on the land and one on the ocean. This is a magnificent angel. This is mighty angel, massive, to be able to put his hand to the sun and say, the time will be no more. This is a magnificent size angel. God can do anything with his creation that's how powerful God is how magnificent God is and in verse 25 voice came from above the firmament that was over their heads whenever they stood they let down their wings above the firmament over their heads was likeness of a throne in appearance like a sapphire stone so he sees a throne wouldn't you like to see the throne on the likeness of the throne was a likeness with the appearance of a man high above it. So there's the throne and a likeness of the throne. There was a man on the throne. Who do you think that man is? Jesus. Also, from the appearance of his waist and upward, I saw, as it were, the color of amber, with the appearance of fire all around within it. And from the appearance of his waist downwards, I saw, as it were, appearance of fire with brightness all around. I mean, the, the, the man that he's trying to describe on the throne, he said he's on fire. The brightness, the light that was emanating from him, brighter than the sun. And then it says, like the appearance of a rainbow in the cloud on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the brightness all around it. This was the appearance of the lightness of the glory of the Lord. So when I saw it, I fell on my face and I heard a voice of one speaking. So, so you're looking at the throne, you're looking at 
the one that's on the throne, the man that's on the throne, that, that fire from his loins up, fire from his waist down. He, he's just on fire, glory, brilliant light, and rainbows of all colors are exploding out of God who's on the throne. What a vision. What a magnificent thing to be experiencing. Why are these faces expressed? I believe when God is a creator. When he creates anything he creates, inside of me expresses a part of his nature, of who he is. So even when he creates the, the faces, like the lion is an expression of the heart of God. And we see these four in the picture of Jesus. And we see it expressed in Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. And the, the, the face of the lion expresses something of the heart of God. You know, if, you're, if you're, a, you're a painter and you're painting something, you paint what's inside of you, don't you? If you create something, because it's inside you, you, you express it on the canvas. That's how God is with all his creation. Everything about God's creation, he expresses a, something of his nature, expression. So the lion is magnificent. I think that the lion represents the power of God, the presence of God, the anointing of God. The lion is, is, is courageous. The Bible talks about being be, a, be as bold as a lion. The righteous are as bold as a lion. The word bold is like courageous like a lion. You know the lion, above all its predators, would be the, the least fearless one. The, the one that has no fear. Yeah. It's the king of the animal kingdom. Very strong, very powerful. Let's out that roar to intimidate its other predators or other rivals and other preys and... He lets out that deep roar. And he's got a territory. I mean, he, he takes on a, a territory. The largest territory is known is around 400 square meters. And they, they, they run around in packs from about 5 to about 24. The average is about 15. But the male is a territorial, so he'll, 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 he'll make sure he's got a few females that he is you know, doing his business with. And he has... And when a... When a, when a, when a a boy is born, a lion cub, it'll stay there for a couple of years, but then they drive it out because of his territorial thing over the females. And then he has to be a nomad for a couple of years, three or four years, until he's strong enough to take on other lions and get into a, a place of um, community with other lions. The lion is very powerful. The, the, most of the females do the hunting. And um, there are times where the, the male one will hunt and they're, they're the bigger prey. If, if the animals are scarce, they'll take on the rhinoceros. They'll take on even elephants at times. But the male ones will do the hunting when the animals are scarce. They do 22 hours of rest when they eat. They eat 34 kilos of meat. And then they'll rest for 22 hours and hunt for two hours. Sleep for two, you know, 22 and rest and lie, down, lie around and they'll hunt. They're very majestic. And when we went to Africa, we, we saw the lions in the wild. And when you're in a little jeep and a lion comes down, lion, um, what do you call them when they're all together? Um, pride, yeah, the lion's pride coming down. And they've got this ma the mane and, you know, and the way they walk. And they're really close. You just think, if they just decide, they're, they're hungry. <laughs> like, what do you do? There's no protection. You're just in this jeep and you're just like, okay. And they're 20 meters away, walking down. Thank God they're fed or they've probably had food, but they're just walking around. And you, you respect the power that they have, you know. But to me, the lion represents the power of God. The Bible says that Jesus is the lion of the tribe of Judah. So he gives us pictures of Jesus being a lion in his nature. We also know him as the lamb, the lamb of God. 
He took away the sins of the world. But he is the lion of the tribe of Jew. We sang a song today about the lion. That he roars. He fights on our battles, for our battles. I believe this represents, yes, the power of God, the anointing, the presence. And this is the, face, the faces of the Messiah. When you think about religion, this is the, the expressions of Christ. The book of John explains the expression of Jesus as the lion. Because he, he doesn't go into his manhood. He doesn't talk about you know, the virgin conceived and the Bethlehem story and Joseph taking... There's no mention of his humanity. It's in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. And the, and the Word was God. And then God became flesh. I mean, take that. Like Jesus is God. And he and explains the book of uh, John. is really powerful about his miracles and that he's God. And just very, very... You know, even the statements when the... When the the soldiers came with all their, all their weaponry to take Jesus. And he says, who are you after? And they go, Jesus of Nazareth. And he goes, I am he. They all fall down to the ground. We don't hear that in, in the other Gospels. But in the, this Gospel, it shows you the power, the majestic, the, the, the anointing of, of who Jesus is as the lion, the one who's victorious, the one who's triumphant, the one who's fearless, the one who dies on the cross with, where he lays down his life for us. He, no one took his life. He laid down his life. It would have been a freak to try to nail someone that goes like this and looks into your eyes. Wow. But a, a man's man, he never screamed for the pain. But when God had to leave him, he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To me, it was the separation of God that he was knowing that's what he dreaded in the garden of Gethsemane. When his soul was exceedingly sorrowful, even to the point of death, he's going to become the sin of the world. This is the lion heart of God. I believe Jesus expresses it, but I believe the church needs to express the lion heart of God. The church has to show the world the expression of the lion heart of God, the, the power of God, the miracles, the signs, the wonders. The supernatural should be normal when it comes to the church because it was normal for Jesus. When I look at the life of Jesus and I study the Gospels, the crowds flocked Jesus everywhere he went. If, anywhere, if anything, he had to find time on his own. He had no problem with trying to get a crowd because of the power of God. Everywhere he went, people were hunting him down. Most of the miracles were people hunting him down because they knew the power of God that was on him. Imagine the church with so much power, so much authority, so much anointing that the sick are drawn and brought to, our, to us. Not just in church, but to you because they know you. When you pray, God hears you. You know, like someone didn't know a pastor and they said to Tony, Tony, this person's in a coma. Can you pray? Get your church to pray. That's what's going to be like in these last days. The revival that we're going to go into, the world's going to see the power of God demonstrated. We have to. And the way it happens is the gospel, we know Paul said this in, first, in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So the gospel, good news, is the power of God for salvation. For therein, in the gospel, is the righteousness of God revealed. Not the righteousness of man. The righteousness of God is revealed in the gospel. Think about this. God's righteousness is revealed to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. This is the key to get into God's presence, to have right standing with God. It's because of the blood of Jesus paid the penalty, paid the price. Jesus consumed the judgment of God against us when he died on the cross. He died in my place, in your place. He was my substitute. He was your substitute. He died not for himself, but for us so that we could go absolutely free from the penalty and the judgment of sin. So we can have right standing with God. 
I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. Can't be good enough. We understand that. It's not by our works, but by His grace. This is the key for the power of God. The gift of the Holy Spirit. Why is it a gift? Because you can't deserve it. Can't earn it. Can't be good enough. But we receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit by saying, God, we're hungry. Why? Because of the gospel. Gives us access. Complete. Full. 100% access to the throne of grace. Does the Bible say, come boldly, because of the blood of Jesus, come boldly with confidence. Yes. Some, uh, when you look at the word, it means, um, op- uh, what's, the, uh, what's the word? It's clear, open-hearted. Nothing to hide. We don't have to hide in God's presence. He knows everything anyway. But we can come because of the blood of Jesus. That's the lion heart of God. We need to express the lion heart of God to a world. What about the face of a man? Jesus, this is also, Jesus did this. The face of a man. I'm going to show you a picture of the face of a man. It's my son. It's an, in, it's an in-house joke because he always says, I'm a man. And we always joke about that. And, and um, so there's, there's a face of a man. We're going to find any man. We just thought, well, we might as well find this man. <laughs> you know, when you think about God, God is absolutely almighty, all-powerful. God spoke the universe into existence with his word. And 144,000 miles a second, light is exploding. The universe is growing. That's God almighty. Yet he desires you. He just spoke it. I look up at the stars. In Psalms 8, it says, when I behold the stars and I look at the universe he created, I think, what is man that you are mindful of him? What is the son of man, that's you and I, that you desire him? Wow. God of the universe desires man. To me, yes, he's almighty. He's all powerful. He's absolutely holy beyond description. I mean, God is so beautiful in his holiness, yet he connects with you. He knows that they relate with you. Bible, Jesus says he knows every hair of your head. He knows the number of your hair. If I lose some hair this, today, he knows and I lose it. If hair grows, women, when your hair grows, he knows, oh, great, some hair is growing. He knows about it. He knows everything about you. Your thought from afar off, before you even think it, he knows the thoughts. I mean, he's intimately and he desires to know you. That's the beautiful thing about God. And I've said this before, but... One time I said to God, I said, you know, sometimes in our brain, I don't know if your brain's like my brain. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the same. But, but I think God, and I, and I said to the Lord, I said, I love you so much. I was writing a letter because I was trying to journal my thoughts. And I said, God, I love you because, this is the exercise. I love you because of this. And I write and write. And then stop and listen to what God says to you. And God said to me, Leo, if you're the only person on the planet left, no one else to love, just you. There's nobody else. Not, there's not billions of people on this planet. There's not billions of people in heaven, just you. I wouldn't love you any more than I already do. What that does for me is sometimes I think, well, God, you've got so many people to love. You're so busy. You know, you just, and he wouldn't love me more than he does if he's got no one else to love but me. Imagine there's no one else but me, me and my father, me and God the Father, just me and him. He wouldn't love me more because his love's pure. His love's so pure for you that he wouldn't love you more if there's no one else to love. Then I started thinking, well, I must move you like I'm the only one that you could ever relate to. If I was the only one that I could ever relate to God, there's no one else to relate to God to give him back love. I would move God in the same manner that when there's billions of people connecting with him. We don't understand God as he really is. His love is so pure 
that is in love with you. That's his way of connecting to humanity. So if Jesus was a good connector of humanity, I mean, the prostitutes, the down and outs, those that were tax collectors, they, they wanted to be with Jesus. He must have been so good. Yes, he was God in the flesh, but he knew how to connect with man. There's an element as a church. We, know, we need to know how to connect with people. So Jesus, I mean, it says to a tax collector, they were hated in their day. Tax collectors were hated. So it's to steal people's money, make people pay more. And then he goes, Matthew, come follow me. So Matthew leaves everything, follows him. Then he checks a dinner party, invites all his friends, and they all showed up to, be with, to see Jesus. They're going to invite Jesus to this dinner party, and all his mates, unsaved sinners, wanted to be with Jesus. It shows you the Jesus we serve. The loving, he's so, he knows how to connect to humanity. So we as a church, I've never seen anyone do great things if they don't know people's skills. I've seen a lot of, in my years, I, I, I look very young to you, but I've been around for a while. <laughs> but in my years, I've seen a lot of very gifted, skilled people. You could be skilled in so many ways. But the, the one thing that some people lacked was relationship skills. They get hurt really quick. They get offended. They, they don't work through the issues. They just quickly get up and leave. I've seen people, not just talking about church people, but I've seen people that are highly gifted. My friends, some, some of my friends were highly gifted and they didn't make it anywhere because of relationship skills. So if you're going to make it anywhere in God and, in, and impact the world, you have to know how to love people. We love God, yes, but we've got to know how to love people. That's the face of a man. The face of that, one of those creatures was a face of a man. Why? Why, why do you put a face of a man? Face of a lion. Face of a man. This is expression of the heart of God and the expression of Jesus. And the book that tells us about the face of the man is the Gospel of Luke. Shows Jesus as a man. Most parables and stories was in the Gospel of Luke. And Jesus referred to himself as the Son of Man so much in the Gospel of Luke. You know what the Son of Man means? Son of Adam. He's referring to his manhood. He says, I'm the Son of Adam. I'm the Son of Adam. I'm the Son of Adam. He kept saying that. Because he's showing that I'm, I'm a man. God, yes, God became a man, but he emptied himself of the privilege of being God and he became a full man, spirit, soul, and body. Jesus was a man just like you and I. And he knew how to relate to people well. To me, this is God saying to us, we've got to know how to relate to people. You know, when I first started the church 27 years ago, um, I was so full of vision, passion, that I, the vision was more important than people. And I realized in going after vision, I can hurt people. And you have to love people. Yes, you've got vision, but the vision is not more. You've got to love people. You've got to connect with people. And how do you understand? How, how do you? To me, the Bible says in Proverbs, wisdom rests in the heart of him who has understanding. If you want to have wisdom to how to relate with human beings, you've got to have understanding. And understanding, the best way to understand, you're going to have understanding by listening. Understanding means to put yourself in the other person's shoes. You understand their world, understand their context, understand what they're going through? Listen. We've got two ears, we've got one mouth. Do the double, double listening to how much you talk. Sometimes some of us talk so much. Don't take over the conversation. Listen if you really want to help and connect with humanity. We as a church have to express the heart of God and be humane. We have to be really good, know how to connect to human beings. The face of a man to the world. Want the world say, man, that, that church, they just know how to relate to people. They know how to love. And I'm talking about every facet of society. They feel loved and, and, and cared for by us. We go after them. 
We're not waiting for them to go after us, but we go after them. That, that to me is what God is trying to say. The church needs to know how to express two human beings and connect. That's the face of a man. The next one is the face of an eagle. The face of an eagle. An eagle is a magnificent bird. It's the king of all birds. It's powerful, powerful animal. It, uh, it can pick up prey five times heavier than itself. And it kills prey. I mean, the largest prey it kills is a deer. Pretty th- amazing thing that an eagle could do that. Its eyes are magnificent in, in the way it can see. We see three colors. Apparently, human beings, the eagle can see five colors. And there's like a million to one. We, a million to one to the millimeter of the way an eagle's eye see compared to us. Like it's so much better than our eyes. Five kilometers away, you can see a little prey in a, in a water, like a fish. Like really powerful eyes. It has 7,000 feathers. 7,000 feathers. feathers. It, 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 it's not intimidated with a storm. If a storm comes, he loves the storm because he'll take the storm on and go over the storm. Not afraid of the storm. So he'd be chilling out, the gray clouds coming, you know, he's flying or fly over. An eagle can, can, can just flap its wings and actually lock them. And then just for hours and hours glide without flapping once, just with the ferment of the hot air that comes up, just, just stays there like that, just locks. Magnificent creature. God created it's 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 regal, regal. It's magnificent, it's majestic. This expresses, I believe, the excellence of God. Attention to detail. An eagle is, is magnificent in so many ways. You know, it can fly. At 320 kilometers an hour. That's fast. I don't know if it can fly or maybe it can drop at that speed. So I can, I can imagine that, but I don't know about flying. But, but it can, that's the speed it can do. 320 kilometers is a max. That's pretty fast. A bird that does that. They, they, they live to 70 years old. 70. But at the age of 40, they have to make some really, really hard decisions because they're going to grow to 70. They have to make some strong decisions. And they go up to the high mountain up in its nest. They find a, a mountain and they break their beard off because it starts to hook and it's no use for them. So it needs a brand new beak, beak. So it bashes its beak off and waits for the beak to regrow. When the beak re- regrows, it takes its claws off and waits for that to regrow. When that regrows, it's about a 105-day process of fasting and being up in the mountaintop and praying, seeking God. And so, not that the eagle does that, you know what I'm saying. The allegory for us. And then it plucks its feathers off. Takes all its old feathers, because the feathers get so heavy and stuck to its chest. It gets harder and harder for the eagle to fly as it gets old. So as he plucks all these old feathers off, he waits for them to regrow. And it was at Isaiah 41, it says that as you wait on the Lord, we do our praying and fasting, you shall renew your strength like the eagle. It's giving you the picture of what it does. And then it's new feathers, new beak, new claws. It's got, it lives another 30 years. But it had to make the hard decision of doing that, those changes. So you've got to make a hard decision of letting go of the past, letting go of insecurities or the disappointment or my hurt. I'm going to make a decision. That's it. I'm going to let that go because I want to grow new feathers. I want to, I want to, I want to see new things. I want to fly again above the storms. Because that's what the eagle to me is excellence. So you've got to give... We and I have got to give ourselves to excellence because it reflects the heart of God. 
It, it, it does reflect the heart of God. What is excellence? To me, excellence means to do your absolute best with everything God's given you. Your gifts, your abilities, your talents, uh, your wisdom, your, your resources, your finances, you know, the, the material things we have. Everything we have, even in as a natural as a church, we do our absolute best. We don't go, oh, that's good enough. That's fine. Uh, it's near enough. No worries, mate. You know, like mediocre. That's not the heart of God to do something mediocre. If you take on this attribute in your personal life, you'll thrive. You take on this attitude at work, I'm telling you, you'll thrive. You don't just give your boss just mediocre, it's just enough. Give him your absolute best all the time. A Christian should be known that you work unto the Lord. You don't even work unto people. Whether the boss was there or not there, you work as hard as if he was there watching. That is a great attitude of excellence. It reflects this magnificent creature called the eagle, the face of an eagle. Jesus showed that. We as a church need to show that to the world. We need to show the world the face of an eagle. It, it expresses the heart of God. And the last one, I know you're wondering, what on earth is an ox doing on that creature? An ox, the face of an ox. Why is God, okay, eagle, lion, yeah, I understand that. Face of a man, yeah, that makes sense. But an ox, why is an ox part of this creature? An ox is an interesting animal. It's one of the strongest animals when it comes to, it really reflects the servant heart of God. Because an ox is very hard, hard worker. You take an ox when the ox is young, and you put in a yoke, a yoke with another calf, and you teach it to carry, and eventually they, they know how to take orders. They listen well. They're very obedient. They can listen to the master saying, left, right, stop, keep going. As long as you feed the ox food and drink and rest, it'll go continually, consistent, enduring, not just all day, but continually, day in, day out. It'll just work. It's like a workhorse, but it's not a horse. It's a work. It's a worker. If a horse tried to do what it, the horse is too rebellious, it'll say no to the commands. When it's tired, the horse will give in. Apparently, the ox, from the beginning of the day, you give it commands. After, like, it stops and you keep going, and it'll go again. After 12 or 13 times of telling it to keep going, okay, now we stop, now we go again. He'll, he'll go again as if it was the first command. He just keeps going, it's just endurance. So it speaks of persistence, endurance, and keep going. And God needs that in us. A servant attitude that we just don't stop. We just keep going, God, you told me to do this. And we've got a servant attitude that knows how to take orders, knows how to be submissive. I mean, Jesus, what an amazing master. I can't imagine the king of the universe, the creator of all things. He created everything, becomes a man, and he now stoops down to washes his disciples' feet. That still blows me away to think that he actually did that. He goes, no, I'm too high for that. I'm, too, I'm such a leader. I'm a sire. I'm going to die for the sins of the world. You know that? But he goes and washes their feet. What an attitude. That's the ox. That reflects the ox. Of, 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 uh, that's found in the, the gospel of Mark is all about the ox. It's having a great attitude. You know, what do you do with someone that's got a great attitude? You can't do anything. To have a great attitude. I'm not talking about blindly obeying people because the Bible is very clear. If we as leaders ask you to do something that's not biblical, you have a right to say no. Very good. Amen? 100%. If, if I say something as a leader, the Bible's clear. The Bible says shepherds should not lord over the flock, but be examples over the flock. So we're not, we're not to lord over people. You don't lead by lording. This, like the world goes, we do this, do this, and we give commands. No, we lead by example. We, 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 we lead by being up front. 
and we lead out of your willingness to submit. We can't make anyone submit. Can't make anyone listen to our authority unless they want to obey our authority. That's, that's godly leadership. I'm just trying to explain godly leadership. Because sometimes people are exposed to the wrong leadership, they, they throw everything else out. But don't do that. That's not, un, that's not healthy. A servant attitude is a good attitude to say, God, I'm here to serve you. And because you placed me, I'm serving. The, the church is an attitude of serving one another, to love one another, serve one another, but also serve the community needs. We serve this city. We should look to the world like they're willing to serve. An attitude of serving. I mean, Paul had an amazing attitude. He says, let this mind be in you that was also in Christ Jesus. And he humbled himself even to the point of death, died on the cross. And so he's Lord, but he dies on the cross. What a great attitude. And then he says in Philippians, let me just quickly read it. In Philippians, where he talks about this great attitude. He goes, finally, brothers, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate or think on these things. And he says, the things you have learned and received and heard and saw in me, these things do. And the God of peace will be with you. How's the God of peace going to be with you? With his great attitude. Whatever is praiseworthy, whatever is noble, whatever is good, think on these things. What a great attitude Paul had. Why did he take this gospel to so many unknown places? Because he had an attitude that served God. And when they said to him, we're going to put you in prison. You can't threaten someone with this attitude. I'm going to put you in prison. Oh, would you please? I can finish the book of Ephesians. You put me in prison. Because he wrote the book of Ephesians in prison and a few other letters when he was in Rome. So they threatened him with prison. He just said, I don't care. Put me there. Like, fine. I'll still love God. I'll lead people to the Lord. Is what kill you? Oh, would you? To die is gain. To live is Christ, but to die is gain. I can go to heaven, would you? Here's my head. Just, just chop my head up. How do you deal with some of that type of attitude? How do you defeat someone that if a persecution comes, we just keep loving people? We keep loving God. We're going to keep loving people even when people persecute us. That is the heart of an ox that reflects the heart of God and the heart of Christ. You have four. Some churches, go back to those four faces. Some churches are really good at the lion. That's a power, presence, anointing. Man, we want that. We want more of that. We're so hungry for that. And we're going to have more of that. I know the world, the church is going to grow worldwide more and more power, miracles, signs and wonders, 100%. You can have that and no humanity, no connecting, then you're not going to be a good church that reflects the, the, the expression of Christ. Or you can be all about humanity, all about serving, all about meeting people's needs physically, all physical, physical, and not have the lion heart. You're not going to be very effective either. Or you can have the eagle, majestic, magnificent, attention to detail, excellence, but don't have the other ones. You can have the ox and not have the other ones. You're not going to be effective. You need all four at the same time expresses the heart of God and the heart of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is the head with the body, so we have to express what Jesus has. Amen. You've been listening to the GGC Life Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. For more, please visit our website, ggclife.com or email us, ggclife at ggclife.com. From our house to yours, be blessed.